Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shares for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. Valuation is an art, not a science, even though there can be a, a lot of maths involved. It's hard to value a stock at the best of times. And, you know, for me, to try and value a stock where you don't even have the first line in the P&L, you know, it makes it even, even more difficult. So I generally try to find stocks who have revenue as a get-go. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. And I also host another occasional podcast series called Talking Companies with Mark Tobin from Coffee Microcaps. You may have met him before on the podcast. We chat with CEOs from some of the undiscovered gems at the smaller end of the ASX. G'day, Mark. G'day, Phil. Mark's work began as an equity analyst in Sydney, igniting a passion for uncovering hidden investment opportunities. His tenure with Wilson Asset Management, a renowned small and microcapped specialist manager, shaped his path as he delved into the world of undervalued growth companies. From that point forward, Mark's relentless pursuit of undiscovered microcap stocks has been a driving force in his career. Did you like that? That was from ChatGPT. Yeah, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Glad I'm to sure see you're, you're, you're moving with the times, Phil, all these fancy technologies. Oh, well, I just wanted to make sure you had a, a, an heroic entrance to the podcast. <laughs> So tell us about catching the microcap bug at Wilson Asset Management. And I know, I know we've covered this before, but it's always, you know, not everyone's listened to every episode, and I think it's worthwhile going through the origin story again. Yeah, so I was at Wilson Asset Management. It's a, it's a few moons ago now. Um, they were really known as a, a, a kind of a small cap boutique manager. At that point, there was only three listed investment companies. They've obviously branched out into many, many more since I had left. 
And within those three list investment companies, there was kind of two main strategies, both focused on the small and micro cap end. And within those strategies, you know, we always had a bit of a focus on micro cap stocks, ones that would be too small for, say, other small cap managers who are running, you know, just like a pure standalone small cap fund, but we thought, you know, could kind of graduate up into the small cap universe um, proper. And those were the companies that I like, you know, really liked because you'd go to maybe a briefing if one of the brokers was hosting the company or, you know, you'd maybe go and visit their headquarters if you're on a day trip with Wilson Asimaj, obviously based in Sydney, if we were down in Melbourne for a day visiting companies or up in Brisbane or the company itself might be in Sydney for a bit of a roadshow. And, you know, you'd ask the CEOs and say, no, have any, you'd be trying to feel out, is anybody else looking at this business? Uh, you know, have you any other kind of institutional investors been in contact or ever? And, and, you know, a lot of the time they'd say, no, we haven't. You're like the first one they've heard from in a year or a year and a half. And I really liked those ones, you know, because it was something that was really off the radar. It felt like you were the kind of first to a story before kind of the rest of our competitors um, caught on to it. And then, yeah, I left uh, Wilson Asset Management and through one thing and another, ended up starting Coffee Microcaps. And the reason I started was more of a frustration for myself in that, you know, there's plenty of uh, conferences in, I would say, the small cap arena and definitely in the large cap arena and a lot of sector specialist ones. A lot of your listeners have probably maybe been to a few of the, the big mining conferences that happen, for example, like iMark in Melbourne or the Gold Coast Mining Conference, uh, you know, events are BioShares, another one on the biotechnology side, or Techno on the technology side. Um, but there wasn't, you know, that many events for microcap companies in particular. And I said, well, I'm going to start my own conference. And I guess it was also to try and meet a couple of other microcap investors, because if you don't, you know, have a place where you all congregate to come and see a few stocks, uh, you know, you only run into these people, maybe if you attend the AGM and, and they attend the AGM. So yeah, back in 2018, I decided I'm going to start Coffee Microcaps. And then we did our first conference live event in Sydney. It was March 2019 or April 2019. I can't remember exactly which month it was now. And yeah, that was the first and we've been running in-person events since then. Uh, obviously took a bit of a break in COVID. And during COVID, we started the online events, which we're still doing. And, you know, it's been a great journey. I've met so many interesting people along the way and lots of other microcap investors that were, you know, just names on, on Twitter for a lot of the time. And it was really great to catch up with them in person and get a bit of a deeper understanding of how they're investing and, you know, what their history was. You know, some of them used to be in the market in various ways, whether they were brokers or corporate advisors or some of them, you know, investor relations people. And, you know, some of them have been so successful, they've gone full-time ahead. They mightn't be running a fund, but their full-time job is microcap investing. And those are the really interesting stories to hear. And, you know, I really think those are some of the, the best investors in Australia because they, you know, they haven't got a management fee or performance fee to keep them going. They've got to make money from their portfolio day in, day out, if they're going to pay their mortgage and, you know, put kids into school and, you know, go to Coles and Woolies every week. Um, so, you know, it's meeting some of those people who are doing it on a full-time basis. 
has been probably one of the best parts of the job and you know meeting some old old colleagues compared from competitors who you know have moved to different places or gone on to start their own funds you know has also been great to catch up with people and, and keep in touch with people so i think that's you know the kind of coffee microcap story in a bit of a nutshell yeah, it's a bit of the, um, it's like gold miners fossicking, isn't it? Just looking around for those undiscovered gems, as we said in the introduction. And um, Luke Winchester, he runs that Merriweather Capital Fund. He was on the podcast a few episodes ago, and um, he works in this space as well. And it's like you said, people looking at these kind of companies, they really do have to perform. It's not like many fund managers in the big end of town. I mean, they can often do something very close to mirroring what's going on on the index and, you know, try and outperform by one or two percent if possible. But the fund management, the fund managers and the people in this space, like you said, they really do live or die by the quality of the companies that they're choosing in their portfolios. No, exactly. And I mean, the other thing with the microcap funds, even if you are somebody like Luke or some of the others, can never really have a big microcap fund because of the liquidity constraints. And I, you know, I don't want to get too technical on it but it's hard to have a microcap fund with funds under management in my opinion anyway you know probably greater than like 150 million dollars or 200 million dollars i think you know that's probably the cap so you know the the size of the fund is never going to generate you know large amounts of performance fee if you take one percent performance fee on 150 million now that's got to pay for you know your afsl license probably rent of a small office it's got to, you know, cover a whole load of back-end administration and a salary for the fund manager, maybe one analyst. And if you start subtracting all of those costs, it doesn't leave a hell of a lot of profit. So where are they going to make their money? They're going to make it in a performance fee. Now, you contrast that somebody who's running an Australian large-cap product or a global equity fund that could be managing a couple of billion dollars in assets under management. Now, if they're charging even a half a percent or 0.75% management fee just on that funds management fee, you know, it covers a heck of a lot of costs and probably gives you out a decent level of profit, even if you make no performance fee. So I think when you look at guys like Luke and the guys from microequities or, you know, OC funds management down in Melbourne, there's a host of, you know, ones I can name, but for those guys to really have a successful and sustainable business, performance fees is where it's at because you're never going to have a billion dollar funds under management microcap fund in the Australian market because liquidity constraints will just end up forcing you up the market cap curve and then you just won't be a microcap fund anymore. You'll be more into small and mid cap. So if your investors are investing with you for micro cap exposure, all of a sudden you won't be delivering what you're supposed to be delivering. So I think, yeah, do you really, it's really performance driven. And for those, as I said, you know, full time micro cap investors, and I know a few of them, they've really got to be sure that they're on average, their winners are doing better than their losers. So when we think about the ASX 200 or the ASX 300, Whereabouts is the microcap sector sort of in that spectrum in markets? Look, the, the ASX 300, you might get a few microcaps at the very bottom of that index, you know, 
you know, companies in and around, you know, 290 or 295, but you're basically talking, you know, a lot of stuff outside the ASX 300, which is still a lot of companies. There's 1,500 companies capped under 300 million. And I was even looking at it the, the other day. If you take the median market cap, so where, you know, 50% of the companies are, it's roughly around that 50 million mark. So, you know, of the 2,000 odd companies, over 1,000 of them are capped under 50 million. And then, you know, the rest are, are capped above it. So there's a long, long list of companies that you can fit into your micro cap definition. And there's no hard and fast definition I find in Australia. I mean, I use 300 million and under as, as a micro cap. And that gives you, if you do a stock screener, That'll give you 1,500 names. If you take the ASX 300 and you say, okay, I'm going to look at everything outside the 300, you know, you're probably talking 1,700 or 1,800 names. So whether you use anything below a certain index point or a certain absolute market cap level, you know, you're going to find a heck of a lot of companies, definitely probably over a 1,000, no matter which way you slice and dice it. And you generally discount or you, f- you filter out companies in the biotech and mining space as well, don't you? Yeah. I mean, what I try and do with coffee microcaps is, you know, I, the first thing I do is I try and find companies that are interesting to me. And, you know, ones I think that, you know, have a good story and I think would be interesting to other microcap investors. And, you know, when we worked or when I worked at Wilson Asset Management, you know, we didn't do too much in the resources space pretty much non-existent or the biotechnology space also kind of non-existent so in terms of understanding the opportunities that those companies present and you know trying to value or in most cases for the junior resources and the biotech and names you know trying to understand the opportunity they're chasing or the or the inherent value that they're looking for you know i i just don't have that real kind of skill set there um, but on the other sectors, so whether that's industrials or retail or technology or healthcare, you know, I think I can find stuff that's interesting um, for various different angles, whether that's valuation angle, whether it's turnaround angle, whether it's from an expansion angle where new products or new markets or new CEOs come in with a new strategy. You know, I think I can start to highlight stories to other microcap investors that, you know, I think they'll find interesting or it'll be one to, you know, maybe put on the watch list and keep an eye on. So yeah, the other thing is with the resources and and the biotech side of things, I just think that those have a very good ecosystem that's kind of developed around them where investors can go and find out in probably much more detail and and much more in-depth from other conferences or websites or you know so i don't think you know hearing them on coffee microcaps is going to really add a whole lot of value to people who look at that space on a on a regular basis whereas i think on coffee microcaps you know i can add a bit of value to you know companies that might be a bit off the radar and are interesting from some kind of an investment angle so what is it about this end of the market that um, investors might find interesting in terms of including something in their portfolio? You know, I think what's interesting about it is just the array of 
products and services that you come across down this end of the market. You get a lot of specialist niche businesses that are, you know, doing something in a particular market or a particular sector that is small relative to, let's say, an, an Amazon or a Facebook or whatever, but you know, they're at the start of their journey where they're doing, you know, maybe a couple of million in revenue. But in Australia or maybe even a bit internationally, you know, they've got a large market in terms of where they are now that they can expand into. And, you know, you can get a, you know, a business that can go from 10 million to 150 million in revenue over the course of a couple of years. And, you know, I think just that small niche end where you've got companies doing very special stuff, you know, I find it quite interesting. You know, that's the best part of my job is, you know, you, you kind of learn something new every day. You're exposed to businesses that are doing stuff that you won't really hear about or see in the ASX 200. Those are businesses that are really operating in large mainstream markets that we can all kind of get our head around. Whereas, you know, I think we're going to talk about a few companies in a bit, you know, the, the kind of tree I, I picked out from the recent conferences, you know, I, I think are businesses that you wouldn't necessarily think of on a day-to-day basis. And that's the kind of the interesting stuff you're going to come across down the small end of the market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Super is one of the most important investments you'll ever make. But how do you know if you're in the best fund for your situation? Head to LifeSherpa.com.au to find out more. LifeSherpa, Australia's most affordable online financial advice. And uh, you referred to liquidity a little earlier on in our conversation, and this is an issue with this end of the market, and a lot of the price action can be affected by the lack of liquidity here. Tell us about that and what investors should be careful or mindful of. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of the, the, the old saying, uh, you know, when you're investing in microcap stocks, you know, liquidity is a feature, it's, it's not a bug, and it just comes with the territory. And, you know, i got a watch list, I think, of 150 stocks I keep an eye on on a kind of day-to-day basis. And, you know, you'll see a stock up 8 9% on, you know, there's been no ASX announcement in the market itself. If you look at, you know, the all odds of the 200 for the day might have been flat. And then, you know, the following day, you know, the market's down a bit, and but, you know, the same stock is now down 6%. And then you look over into, you know, well, what was the volume it was traded on? It could be 8,000 shares or 12,000 shares and you know the share price may be like 60 cents so yeah you will get kind of big jumps up and down on a daily basis um, in share prices on just some of the, the small volumes that are are traded I think you know in microcaps that's just something you've got to accept um, and I think for smaller retail investors you know who aren't trying to commit large amounts of capital if they're you know Money dealing in a couple of thousand dollars here or there, it's probably not that much of a concern. 
for people like Luke, as you mentioned earlier, who's running a proper fund, it's a bit more of a consideration from him as not so much a risk, but something he's got to be mindful on a portfolio level, you know, what's the liquidity of his portfolio overall and how does he take advantage of it when it appears, whether that's to, to sell a stock or to buy a stock. Yeah, I think for microcaps, it's a feature of this part of the market, not a bug, and you just got to manage it, learn to deal with it, and just know that you're going to have these relatively big swings in price on, on low volumes from kind of day to day, week to week, whatever it might be. And it's just part and parcel, I guess, of, of microcap investing. I know, Mark, that you don't have any holdings in any of the companies that um, you cover, obviously, for co- reasons of conflict of interest. But if you were looking to invest in any of these companies, what sort of process would you start using to identify opportunities? Yeah, I mean, as you say, I don't have holdings in any companies for conflict of interest reasons and it you know makes compliance a lot simpler as well uh, when you don't um but in terms of you know looking for companies I, c- I can give you the process that i use you know to try and find companies to present at the conferences and you know the the first thing is are they capped under 300 million so that's kind of my starting point for trying to find a microcap. the second step then is are they in revenue you know, so for a lot of the like biotechs and junior resources, you know, a lot of them are pre-revenue. So that's another reason they tend to kind of fall out. And valuation is an art, not a science, even though there can be a, a lot of maths involved. It's hard to value a stock at the best of times. And, you know, for me to try and value a stock where you don't even have the first line in the P&L, you know, it makes it even more difficult. So I generally try to find stocks who have revenue as a get-go. And then the second thing is, you know, how close are they to cash flow break even or, you know, turning a profit ideally are already profitable and, you know, paying a dividend even maybe. So, you know, I kind of start to filter down, uh, down through that. And I mean, if we just talk about dividends quickly for a second, it might be interesting fact because I've been doing a, a bit of, bit of stock screening, you know, let's say you screen for you know stuff capped under 300 million and that's you know producing a dividend as well the last screen i ran for that i think it turned up like 150 companies so you know just because something's a microcap stock doesn't mean that they're all unprofitable you know not making money you know there's quite a few of them are you know solid dividend paying stocks and it's you know maybe something people aren't really aware of when they think of microcap stocks that, you know, you can find stocks down this end of the market who are actually dividend paying. Yeah, it's not something you think about in this end of the market at all, is it? But um, you're right. I mean, a lot of these are solid industrial companies. Often many of them have been around for tens of, you know, decades at a time and doing not terribly sexy, you know, software as a service stuff or you know, anything to do with new technology, they have good, solid businesses producing things. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, if we just take the last conference, I mean, um, you know, if we, two companies that are kind of in kind of similar industries, uh, sectors, I would say anyway, was, um, and we've had actually <laughs> one of the CEOs on here and talking companies before, but, um, you know, Steve Boland from 
acro farm work and construction um you know business that's i think it's been around for 40 years it hasn't been listed for 40 years but i think it's been around for 40 years and you know that's a solid dividend paying business and for anybody who doesn't know what they do they do a lot of the farm work that kind of concrete shuttering you'll see on big infrastructure projects so you know things like west connect snowy hydro you know major major infrastructure projects and, you know, the business has kind of evolved under Steve to be uh, rather than that, you know, simple concrete form work they're doing, you know, much higher end kind of specialist engineered stuff these days. And, you know, done it very successfully. And um, I think if anybody had invested today, Steve was appointed CEO to today, they would have done very well of it. But that's a business where, you know, you can kind of see it every day if you're driving past are getting caught in traffic because of one of these um, projects and might see the ECRO sign up there. You know, that's what, uh, you know, a dividend paying microcap. And similarly, we had John Lorente from Big River Industries and, you know, they supply essentially, you know, timber for a lot of, you know, high-end buildings, high-end residential, high-end commercial buildings, you know, that like, beautiful like wood facades or floors or stairs or balustrades um you know a business that has also been around for 40 50 years from its uh, origins up in the northern rivers of new south wales and again it's dividend paying you know makes a profit and it's got quite a an interesting business because they do timber yards but they also do the you know the specialist finished products as well so they're kind of all through that kind of value chain of timber and timber related products and again you know it's not kind of one that would you know jump out at at most people but it's a business that's you know operating in an interesting niche and you know they've kind of got you know new south wales is their main market but they've kind of got plans to expand into the other states so there's two dividend ones that kind of jumped to mind just from the last set of conferences we did so we finally met in face, person to person, for the <laughs> first the time at the conference back in April. <laughs> it's a str- crazy world, isn't it, where people can form relationships and deal with each other and start businesses because you're up halfway around the world somewhere else and I'm here in Australia and you come back for the, the conferences here. Yeah, and I mean, that was, I mean, for me, it was a little less surreal because it's the kind of second time around the sun for me, if I can say that, because when I hosted the first conference back in uh, 2019, I met so many people that I'd only ever engaged on over email or via Twitter for probably a couple of years before that. So when, when we met at the conference, it was the first time I met a lot of those people in person. So, you know, meeting you for the first time in Sydney in April was kind of the, the second time. And, you know, a lot of people I'd met kind of over that COVID period for the first time or had kind of come in contact with coffee microcaps and I'd kind of gotten to know it was a first time meeting a good few of them and whereas because the conferences have been kind of running on a regular basis you know I might have an interaction with somebody on Twitter and then they say oh I'm going to see you at the, the next conference it's only a couple of months away so you know having the, the COVID enforced break you know led to meeting a few more people than normal at a conference but yeah, I mean, 2019 was exactly the same. People there I'd probably known for three or four years, Luke Winchester being one of them, who I, I was meeting kind of for the first time. And having worked in Sydney for, you know, the best part of 
five years or a little over five years, I didn't actually know a whole lot of investors from Melbourne or Brisbane. And we had a good few people fly in for the conference in Sydney because we only used to host it in Sydney then. And, you know, a lot of those people came up from Melbourne or down from Brisbane. I, you know, hadn't met in in person either. So it was really great to, to meet them in person. We'll get back to the show right after this brief message. Why am I buying, holding or selling a share? If you can't answer that basic question, then you don't have a plan. The best investors are ruthless in executing their plans. I've been fortunate to meet many great investors on the podcast. Tony Kynaston is one of the best. He has a clear and systematic approach to investing that is honest, sensible and methodical. It's called QAV, quality at value. QAV now offer an excellent light plan for only $29 per month. You can follow their buy and sell recommendations and learn the ropes. And the first month is free using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Go to qavpodcast.com.au to sign up. That's qavpodcast.com.au using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Past performance is not a guarantee of future returns. Please read the QAV FSG and consult a financial professional before investing. I receive a small commission for services I recommend and I only recommend services I use myself. So let's talk about a couple of the other companies that uh, presented at the conference. You've got it first on your list is Imiron. Yeah. yeah. Look, what's the, what's uh, the code on that one? IMC is the code. I think it's an interesting little little business. So they have their main product is Travelan, which you might have seen in your local chemist warehouse or Terry White or whichever one you normally go to. And, you know, it's basically they, they focus on international traveler market and traveler diarrhea. And obviously business took a massive hit through COVID when nobody's traveling internationally. And, you know, I think they obviously like really struggled through COVID. And, you know, now they're starting to see the benefits of all of this international travel. They've got a couple of other products they've kind of got in the pipeline and they're kind of rebuilding the business and they're selling the US, they sell in Canada and they sell in Australia. That's their main markets. But I mean, obviously there's plenty of other markets that they can expand into. And, you know, they've got a product that's approved by the FDA, the TGA, and, you know, a few other products coming in. And a lot of the problems that they have faced now that everything has opened back up over the last, you know, let's call it 12 or 18 months has been all the supply chain issues that, you know, lots of companies and CEOs have flagged that, you know, so they had huge demand for stock, but they couldn't get it out fast enough because they had issues with the manufacturing side and they lost a lot of any kind of business that sells into, you know, retail chains, you know, they lost shelf space through COVID and trying to get rearranged back onto the shelves of a lot of these and, you know, just reestablishing those kind of sales partnerships has been a process, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. So I think Imuron, it's not a a startup. I'd say it's, you know, it's kind of more of a turnaround. They're kind of getting back to what they were doing kind of before COVID. And they've got opportunities to expand with a kind of proven product. You know, it's well known in the markets that's already in. And I think to try and expand it into, you know, the UK or Germany or cross into Asia, potentially, you know, a couple of markets there, maybe Japan or South Korea. You know, I think they've got a nice trajectory in front of them. And I think it's, you know, one to kind of uh, keep an eye on over the next year or two, see how they can rebuild the existing business and then expand into 
new markets with existing products and they've got one or two other products um, that they're currently developing. And, you know, if they can plug that into their existing distribution that they've got now, I think it's, uh, I think it's a, an interesting little business. Okay. And the next one on the list is Demem. Is that how you pronounce that one? D-mem? Uh, D-mem. Yeah, D-mem. Uh, D-mem. Yeah, this yeah. is, I think this talks to what we were talking about earlier, you know, these like niche businesses that you wouldn't really have exposure to. So D-mem, they do high, high-end filtration systems for businesses who are, you know, extracting water, using it in their production processes, and then have wastewater that, you know, needs to be, release back into the water system but has to be treated before it leaves their plant so they provide the the membranes and the i guess technology to do that so it's used by a lot of uh, heavy industry but also you know businesses like coca-cola and food manufacturers and you know a whole host of businesses who use city water council water in their production process and then have to clean that up to an acceptable standard before releasing it kind of back into the system. And DMEM have these high-end membranes and filters that they use in order for these companies to comply with environmental regulation standards that they are required to under their kind of operating license. So, you know, it's a very specialized technical business, you know, a business-to-business type operation so you know you you kind of completely different to Imiran in that you know you won't see the D-Men logo at your at your local retailer or local chemist or you won't really come across it in kind of everyday living but I think it's a really interesting business where they still have you know scope to expand and you know been on a on a quiet path they're just Getting to that kind of inflection point of, of profitability, they've you know done one tour acquisitions, which has given them a, a kind of a presence right across Australia because that's one of the things they said they wanted to do. If you look back, maybe two three years ago, they really wanted a national presence. When you're dealing with somebody you know like Coca Cola, you know they don't want to be dealing with one supplier in New South Wales and another supplier in WA. So they've managed to do that, and you know they're been slowly ticking along getting new customers, doing one or two acquisitions. And, you know, the business is just coming up on that profitability inflection point. And I still think they've got, you know, room to grow. They've got a bit of a business in Singapore. They've got another bit of a business in Germany. So there's definitely scope for them to, you know, expand with their customers internationally. I mean, one of their more recent customers in Australia was a Jividan, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, a big Swiss manufacturer. I'm pretty sure they're listed, but I mean, if you look up the size of their operations, you know, if if um, DMEM can start expanding to some of their other sites, which they have, you know, around the globe, I think it's a great opportunity for them. So Mark, you're coming back to Sydney and Melbourne for a couple more conferences uh, later this year. Give us the dates and um, where they'll be held. Yeah, so anyone who's been to one of our conferences before, they're at the same venues again. Uh, but anyone who wants to join us for the first time, the Sydney event is happening October 31st, which is a Tuesday. And it'll be at the State Library of New South Wales, which is just by the domain for people there in Sydney. 
And then on the Thursday of that week, Thursday the 2nd, so just before the whole Melbourne Cup festivities kick off, we'll be in Melbourne at the State Library of Victoria, for which is, you know, bang smack in, in central Melbourne CBD. So if you want to join us at one of those, tickets will probably go on sale probably end of September, early October. And yeah, we'll look forward to welcoming anybody who wants to join us in Sydney or Melbourne. And people can join the mailing list as well, can't they? Yeah, probably the best way to go is to Substack. So I do a monthly newsletter on there, or you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm on pretty much most of the socials as well. Okay, we'll put all of those on the episode notes and the blog post as well. Thanks, Phil. Okay, Mark Tobin, it's great to chat with you again and uh, talk to you again soon. And I, I just want to say before we finish off as well, having gone to the previous conference in April, it's great. It's such an eye-opener to see the innovation that's going on in Aussie businesses, great Aussie businesses of the future. Thanks, Phil. And yeah, hopefully we'll see you in October. Definitely will. Okay, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Phil. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.